We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. McKee gets it in the middle for the win. What is going on, Pacer Nation? It is a woeful podcast intro because we are sitting at a five-game losing streak right now, the longest of the season. And if you look at the top six teams in the Eastern Conference, it is the longest amongst those six teams uh, as far as losing streaks go. But I'm here today with Kent Sterling. It is Monday, so you know Kent's on with me. So, Kent, what's going on, man? Not too much. And and really, worst-case scenario, this thing gets to seven before we get to the All-Star break. And the guys internally and externally, us as fans and media, we get to put it all behind us for a week. Yeah, and I think the Pacers, honestly, like they looked at that trade deadline, and I think they almost thought it was the all-star break because they really have struggled. And they look a little mentally fatigued just watching them play. Like you see on Saturday night, no Zion, no Brandon Ingram. Obviously Oladipo didn't play, so you get the rotation back to how it was, how they've been playing all year long, and they lose that game, get out, rebounded offensively, 16-2, to just not good basketball. I don't really know what exactly is going on, but what I do know is the Pacers are not playing basketball like they were the first 50-plus games of the season. Chemistry is so strange in basketball, and, and there's no telling whether this would have happened if Oladipo hadn't come back right before. I mean, they won that game against the Bulls in overtime, or this thing would be six in a row. 
Um, but chemistry is so flaky, and and you need so much effort from guys, 35, 38 minutes a night like last night. And and when it's not right, when it, the vibe just isn't there, and you can feel it, man, when we watch either at Banker's Life Fieldhouse or we watch on TV, you can feel a lack of dynamic basketball action and a lack of chemistry. And, and it's just so repellent to watch these guys who had been so good when they were 30 and 15 and playing so well together kind of unravel as they had. I, I, I know this is driving Kevin and Chad and Nate completely crazy, but it's driving us crazy too. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, they're losing games down the stretch. Like, we can go back and look at that Toronto game. That's a game you cannot lose. You know, you're up 11 right. points with just a little bit over two minutes to go. Everything goes wrong for the Pacers. I felt like Friday night, the roles were reversed, but the Raptors took care of business, where the Pacers were clawing and clawing and just couldn't get back to it. And then Saturday versus the Pelicans, the Pacers just got out manned and just out, out hustled, out energized. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the biggest problem is, Kent, but I do know that the Pacers have to figure something out. I think Oladipo is looking better. I, I do think from what we talked last week to yeah. – Friday night, he's taking better shots. He's not forcing as much, and I think putting him in that starting lineup was a huge uh, was a huge boost in how he's playing and how he's reacting. You know, let me run this by you because I don't know whether I was overreacting last night a little bit, but there have been through the first like forty six games of the season again when the Pacers were thirty and sixteen, it was kind of like okay, Sabonis is going to get every rebound. And over this five-game stretch, and especially last night, I saw Miles Turner go after rebounds and and not necessarily poach him from Sabonis, but it, he could have deferred and allowed Sabonis to get the rebound, and he didn't. He kind of swooped in over the top and grabbed it, and, and I thought, oh, that's a little bit different for this team. You know, you, you've seen some things kind of fray a little bit, in in how they went about their business in winning early in the season and become just a little bit different. Do you notice that in Turner and Sabonis? Uh, not necessarily for me. I okay. haven't really paid that much of attention to it, but I haven't been at the games either, so I've just kind of been watching on TV. And what I kind of have noticed, I mean, Miles' rebounds were the same last night as Sabonis's, but yeah. one thing I have noticed is whenever a shot goes up, I feel like all of the – defenders for the Pacers are crashing the glass. It's almost like they're emphasizing, hey, we need to get these rebounds. Whatever it takes, we got to get them. But they're not boxing out the guy shooting the basketball, which is leading to a lot of long offensive rebounds. Like Turner might step up to block a shot, but then, you know, no one's helping the helper, and that guy's getting the offensive rebound. Or, you know, Jeremy Lamb might run out on a closeout on a guy, and, you know, instead of boxing him out, he'll close out, go towards the basket to get the rebound, but then said shooter will go get the ball and, and put it back in for two. It's just multiple possessions for the team is – for the opposing team is not going to help the Pacers uh, score more points when you're giving the other no. team more opportunities. And it's, it's not a Turner problem because I've been seeing people say, Oh, Turner's a soft center. He doesn't know how to rebound. I'm like, no, that's not true. Uh, he's not really in the paint that much, but uh, I have been, I think part of the problem too this week is just the matchups. I know that sounds like a bit of an excuse, but when you're playing a team like Toronto and they're a little bit smaller, playing two bigs can be problematic. Uh, last night, we kind of saw something similar with uh, what New Orleans are doing, why they have 
you know, Derek Favors, who's not an outside presence. I mean, he, he's okay from out there, but it's not his game. And and then you're chasing Melly around. Like, you know, I think it makes more sense for Sabonis to guard centers in a, in a, in a sense because I don't think he's a great perimeter defender. And Miles is always worried about blocking the shot, protecting the rim, that sometimes his guy can get left open, and, and that just doesn't help. So that's kind of my analysis on things. But I do think the Pacers, uh, it's, they just got to be better – communicative wise they're not communicating at all you know something has happened right we don't know exactly what it what it is or or how things have changed but they have changed yeah and it could be fatigue it it could be you know maybe they uh, although it shouldn't be i mean malcolm brogdon shouldn't be fatigued he sat out a number of games victor shouldn't be tired not you know that that shouldn't be an issue jeremy's missed games tj uh warren has missed games but you see those two offensive rebounds last night. How's it possible to to miss 39 shots and all you come down with are two offensive rebounds? And the guys who got the offensive rebounds are Brogdon and Lamb. Sabonis and Turner completely shut out on that end. I just kind of don't get it. Yeah, I think rebounding a lot is effort. So that, yeah. that just kind of speaks to it. But let me ask you this, Kent, because I know Brogdon played pretty well in that Wednesday game against Toronto where he went 10 of 14. He really struggled down the stretch. Sometimes I feel like he's a little too slow. And not not saying that's a bad thing all the time, but when you get McConnell out there with that second unit, I mean, they are just back and forth, zoom, 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 down, down and back on the court, offensively, defensively, you know. The pace just picks up so much more, and it's almost yeah. – it's more fun to watch to me personally. Like, not saying that I think they're better players, but I think the style they play and the guys that they play with have better chemistry sometimes. Where sometimes Brogdon, he kind of slows the offense down. And with a guy like Vic, who's pretty quick, you know, we go from a guy like Collison, who's six foot and really fast, to a six foot six, 225 uh, pound point guard who, you know, slow guy, doesn't really push the pace a lot. But, I mean, there's times we've seen super athleticism from him, but. He's just never in a hurry, and sometimes I think his him not pushing the ball hurts a little bit. And when Victor is fully healthy, I kind of would like to see Victor control the ball a little bit more and maybe play Malcolm Ooh. off the ball. Oh, I uh, boy, Victor on the ball! All of a sudden, you got four low and Victor attacking, and that bothers me. This this thing for the Pacers was so beautiful. The ball movement in both uh, for sure. True with the second unit, but the first unit, too, where you've got Brogdon moving the ball, setting ball screens, Sabonis cutting to the rim. You had really good stuff. You had good action on probably 80% of your offensive possessions. And when they were 30 and 16, that first unit was fine by me. You yeah. know what I mean? Something something has happened, and I don't know. You know, weird stuff can happen. Like, we remember what happened when Lance got snubbed a, a few years ago in the All-Star balloting, right? And and that he didn't make the All-Star team when he and others thought that maybe he should have. Sabonis so makes the All-Star team, right? I wonder how that sat, not just with Miles Turner, but with Miles Turner's parents who are around a lot. Because there is, a, and this is true at high school, this is true in college, and I think it's true in the NBA too. Parents can pull a kid in, in an adult in an entirely bad direction. Yeah, well, I I can't speak on that because I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> I'm know. telling you, man, there is no worse place for a high school basketball player than in the back seat of the car with mom and dad. True, no I worse mean, place. 
ruins parents them live with him, or are they just here? I think they're always. I mean, I always see him at games. I've He's seen his dad at several games. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I knew that I knew his dad had like moved here, but I didn't know if he lived with him or not. Was trying to help him out. I mean, they're very close knit family. I mean, if I was Miles Turner, I'd probably be a little bit annoyed that Sabonis got an All Star bid before me, sure. before me, especially since you know Turner basically had to sacrifice what he was doing to let Sabonis do it on offense. Right. You know, I mean, right. he's had and to make I, several sacrifices. We don't know. Sacrifices. We're just like I'm sitting here guessing. I just know that something fundamentally weird has happened on this team, and I don't know what it is. I think Oladipo has something to do with it, and that's not his fault. That's through no flaw in Victor, not blaming him for it, but throwing that kind of change agent into what this was when this was working perfectly well has obviously had some kind of change, and they knew it was going to have that. Nate McMillan talked about it to the media that this is going to take some time to work out and, and not just make Victor feel good, but make the other guys feel good with Victor. TJ came back last night. He's been on the shelf with a concussion. You know, there, there are things that kind of work against a team being in, in, you know, having a great flow in their offense and having great connectivity on the defensive end. And, and I'm just wondering what might've happened and what might be causing kind of some disruption and uh, it's interesting to speculate on it, and we yeah. don't have any answers, but we sure as hell know that there's a good question to be asked here. Yeah, and I mean, if I'm going to give my two cents here, like really speculating, I think that Brogdon, the first, you know, without Oladipo, I think Brogdon kind of was the ball-dominant guy, but now right. he feels kind of like, I've got to get my guy, my our best player, in a rhythm. I'm going to take a little bit of a backseat, try to get him more shot attempts, you know, because not everything was being run through him and Sabonis like it was earlier in the season because they're trying to get him touches. At the same time, I just feel like Jeremy Lamb has really struggled defensively. Last uh, Saturday night versus the Pelicans, he looked really well offensively. He was hitting his shots, but he has really, really struggled this year, in my opinion, like in 2020, not 2019. I thought he was so consistent with scoring the basketball, and he knew his role, and then – all of a sudden, it's just like he went through a shooting slump, and his defense is always like he gets beat, and he does the reach-around thing like a lazy guy at pickup ball does, trying to pop the ball for you. He constantly let guys get into his chest and you know drive him where they want to go. That's one thing I brought up on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, but one thing Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry do so well is they get into the body of the defender, and they dictate yeah. where they want to go, where when I'm watching the Pacers, even Oladipo does it some – they're too busy trying to avoid the defender and not create that initial contact because if you cre- create the initial contact, you're more than likely going to get a foul call and put the defender in a worse spot. I mean, if Brogdon's going to, you know, drive the paint, he's got to get into defenders because he's so big, they're not going to be able to stop him, especially a guy like Lowry. I mean, he's got six inches on him almost. So it's it's one of those things where I just feel like not having TJ Warren really hurt them because I think he is a much better defender than Jeremy Lamb. And I I don't know exactly what it is, but I think that Jeremy Lamb is a much slower player than Victor Oladipo as far as how he plays the game. And Oladipo is just so much faster and he's a little bit more way more athletic than, than Jeremy Lamb and I think Maybe the Pacers were just playing a much slower pace at the beginning of the year because of, you know, Jeremy was a better fit with all the guys in there. I mean, Sabonis is very uh, – he can play fast with the second unit, but with the other guys, I mean, it's more methodical. Same with Brogdon, T.J. Warren, just kind of 
pick their spots, but with with Oladipo, I mean, I feel like they could play a lot faster, and it's almost like you're putting a super fast guy with a pretty slow point guard, a slow wing, and Jeremy Lamb, and then Sabonis. I don't know. It's just to me, I feel like that the pace of which they want to play and who's going to run the offense and who's the offense going to run through is a little bit tricky for everybody. Well, it is tricky, and, and basketball is a tricky game, right? And yeah. and I think that what Nate did so well in orchestrating how this this team operated on the offensive end is they went after the matchup right where where jeremy and tj are really good at going and getting buckets in a variety of ways malcolm is a matchup uh i i i think he is he's a superior matchup size wise against a lot of his counterparts at point guard uh and then sabonis i think has been a terrific guy down low being able to uh, with either hand kind of find his way to get the ball up on the rim and through and then turner nice stretch you know stand in the corner knock down three spread the defense i i think it just kind of worked and then you add victor to it and you subtract jeremy and you're right victor plays better at a higher pace they play the the pacers though played really really well at that slow pace but it doesn't make any sense to play at that slow pace with Victor on the floor, it's just, it's kind of like the pieces just don't fit. You know, it's, it is, it's a Rubik's cube, right? You, yeah. you spin, you spin one little spindle and none of the sides match anymore. And, and that's kind of what basketball is. When you, when you've got all the colors on each of the six sides, you keep riding that, you know, you, you don't change it on purpose because it's already working and and that's kind of what the Pacers did but what were they supposed to do just continue to sit Victor and and wait for the all-star break to put him back you can't do that for God's sake he's way too valuable a guy so they were kind of between a rock and a hard place and now they're paying the penance for for having disparate parts that just don't fit as well together now as they did before Vic came back well, and I'm going to say this. If you're comparing the roster from this year to the previous two years, especially that starting unit, the talent level is so much better on this oh, yeah. Pacers team now. There's no doubt about it. And it's a little bit more offensive-minded. But if you if you look at that first year, Oladipo is on the Pacers. You got Darren Collison shooting 40% from three. You got Bogdanovich, a lights-out three-point shooter as well. That year he kind of came into his own. And that's why he got his big payday last summer. Miles Turner was the pick-and-pop guy. And then Thaddeus Young was the all-out scrapper. Well, if you look at this Pacers team this year, uh, you think Brogdon's going to be a great three-point shooter, but he's been kind of up and down all year. We, we mentioned Jeremy Lamb's been going through a shooting slump. Miles Turner's probably been their best three-point shooter consistently on this Pacers team that's in the starting five. And then you've got Sabonis, who is a master in the pick and roll and a terrific passer. But, you know, these pieces are so much different than what the Pacers were assembled like two years ago with Oladipo yeah. kind of being the focal point. And so now it's like, hey, we wanted to get him help, but they're still missing a lights-out three-point shooter next to him. Hopefully Brogdon can get those percentages up come playoff time because that's going to be pivotal. And, you know, T.J. Warren is not a great three-point shooter, so when he comes back, uh, I mean, he he can hit him, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't take a lot of them. He's more of a drive-and-kick guy, and and Sabonis will barely attempt any. 
So while the rest of the league is just constantly shooting threes and playing a different style, the Pacers are trying to zag while everybody's zigging, and it's just it's just not working out right now. But it had been for the whole entire season, so a lot of it is just chemistry and these guys figuring out their role. And you know, I think it's on McMillan too to figure out his substitution rotations and how he wants to handle that. It is way different. And, and you're exactly right, that the iteration of the Pacers two years ago and last year, it was Victor and guys outside the arc that forced you to respect and, and play tight, like Bogdanovich and like Collison, and that gave Victor the opportunity to kind of move and do what he wanted as he attacked. He can get the corner on guys, and we've seen him do it since he's come back. He's looked really explosive on both ends, really good defensive play from Victor. But this is a different team, and, and you don't have those wings who can knock down threes. You, you've got a big point guard and not the Darren Collison-type guy. And so this is, this is very different. Sabonis being a, a part of the first unit along with Turner, this is, they're evolving into something. And I think, really, they were, kind of, they were kind of penalized, right, by how well they played early this season before Victor came back. If they had been a 500 team, and then Victor comes back, and they they play the last six, let's say four and two. Everybody's through the moon. Hey, we're right. headed in the right direction. But they go thirty and sixteen, which nobody expected, you know. And now they're having a bit of a tough time in accommodating Victor and and getting all the pieces to fit together. It from an expectational standpoint, we're just flummoxed. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean. We're, we're still in wait-and-see mode, but I think when it comes down to it, these guys have to figure it out. They're talented enough. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, we can put some of the blame on McMillan for what he's doing. We can put the blame on, you know, the guys not stepping up. But at the end of the day, they've got to figure out how to close games again like they had earlier in the season. And one thing that I've noticed recently is during this stretch, you know, we've seen McMillan kind of uh, retreat back to his starting five when sometimes the bench was playing better than the starting five. Now, I know in that Wednesday game, he did ride with McDermott and Justin Holiday a little bit longer, didn't play Turner too much, sub Turner in for a quick second for McDermott, and then brought Aaron Holiday back in. So he's kind of reverted back to putting the starters in to close the games when we saw earlier in the season, I mean, he might close a game out with Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday on the court with Brogdon, Sabonis, and uh, T.J. Warren. You know, Lamb and Turner might ride the bench, or, you know, there's been games when we lost by one to Miami where Sabonis was on the bench because he struggled. So I just feel like sometimes when the starters are playing well, ride them out. But, like, last night, Saturday yeah. versus the Pelicans, kept T.J. McConnell in there way too long. Should have brought Brogdon back in. I mean, three possessions in a row, I'm pretty sure McConnell came up short and even airball two fadeaway jumpers. That's just not ideal offensive basketball. And he McConnell does not look the same with a mix of the starters. He looks so much better with that second unit, kind of having all those three pointers, uh, three point shooters spreading the spreading the floor, where he's kind of just able to do his thing and run that pick and roll, pick and pop with Sabonis. And it's just I don't know. I just feel like the guy has got to bring more energy, and they've got to figure this out and. They can't be looking ahead to the All-Star break. they got to focus on these two games because Brooklyn and Milwaukee, those aren't easy opponents. You know, 82 games is a long time. Right. Right. And and so here's my feeling about Nate McMillan, which flies in the face uh, of a lot of the wisdom that you see on Twitter, 
is I think if I were going to put together like a top four list of NBA Coach of the Year candidates in my world, because of the 30-16 and 16 and the good start and really taking three games at the front end of the season for all these disparate parts to come together and start playing really, really good basketball, Nate McMillan is in my top four and, and with Nick Nurse, Eric Spolstra, and Billy Donovan. Those mm-hmm. four guys, I think, have done great work in, in getting the most out of their guys. Now, the last five games haven't worked out for the Pacers, but I have every – and here's the thing with Nate is you always know where he stands. Like the first year that he was the head coach, you could tell he wasn't vibing with the team at all. And and he was almost glum. And then when they came in for the the presser after the Oladipo Sabonis for Paul George trade, it looked like a million-pound weight had been taken off McMillan's shoulders. Yeah. When he's getting in the officials like he is and like he did last night uh, about calls, I feel like he's really invested in what's going on. And when he's really invested in what's going on, I think he's a terrific coach. And I think he's had that investment this the third straight season that that he's brought it. Um, the other guys, I, I think Nurse has been unbelievable with uh, with the Raptors. Kawhi Leonard leaves. They're still a really good team. Spolstra has done a great job assimilating Jimmy Butler into what they do. And Billy Donovan loses Paul George, and they're one game south of where they were last year. They were 33-19 and 19 after 52 games last year. They're 32-20 and 20 this year. I think Donovan's done a wonderful job. Um, and it really calls into question another thing, and I don't mean to open up this can of worms, but how valuable really is Paul George? Every time he leaves a team, they pretty much stay where they were at at the very least. Nobody loses Paul George and all of a sudden goes in the tank. You know, so and that's partial credit to Kevin Pritchard for making a, a great deal for uh Sabonis and and for uh Oladipo. But yeah. back to the original point, I think <laughs> I think Nate has done a terrific job. I, I think he's been really good and I think by the time we get to the end of the season, we're gonna be back on the uh the Nate bandwagon saying, look at the work that this guy's done uh, over the course of the 82 game season. That's, that's the biggest thing. It's 82 games. Teams are bound to go through losing streaks. I mean, I remember last year when Oladipo got hurt and the Pacers just lost game after game. I mean, you lose to Memphis, you lose to new Orleans, Miami, like all these games, the Pacers should have won with Oladipo healthy. They started losing and people were just, you know, losing their minds because they're like, they were not expecting this and they're losing the teams they should have beat, but it's just part of the, part of the season. And, you know, we knew this was going to be a challenge bringing Oladipo back, trying to figure everything out chemistry wise. I mean, I think that right we don't value chemistry enough when we're looking at things on paper. It's like, yeah, the Pacers are a better team on paper, especially Saturday versus the Pelicans. You got no Zion, no Brandon Ingram, even though we don't have Oladipo, we've been without him for a majority of the season. I mean, these two guys for new Orleans have been playing out of their mind. I mean, Brandon Ingram's an all-star Zion's been unbelievable since he returned or debuted. So, you know, you think this is going to be a win and maybe the Pacers just overlooked him a little bit. I don't know what it is, but all I do know, Ken, is I do think McMillan has, you know, some good characteristics, good qualities as a coach. But I'm going to ask you this. Does he run a good enough modernized of – I'm trying to say this correctly. Does he run a uh, – does he run a modern offense that is able to actually win in the playoffs? Because I think you can win regular season games, but is he good enough – is Nate McMillan good enough to win games in the postseason? 
Yeah, I, I think so. And this, I mean, this is a, uh, a saying from a million years ago in coaching, but it's, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. You know, if you have superior talent, you're going to win a lot of basketball games. Right. And if you don't have superior talent, you're going to lose a lot of basketball games. But what you've got to do also is you've got to manage the chemistry of the team. I talked to, uh, uh, I talked to an, uh, uh, an assistant basketball coach this week um, for a big-time program, and he was talking about when his team gets to February, it's all about coaching chemistry and coaching heart. That's it. The team is what the team is. You know, you see how many how many teams do you see win because of schematics? Maybe there's a clever out-of-bounds play. Like, nobody knows more about schematics, and nobody does a better job, I don't think, uh, of coaching in that way than Brad Stevens. I agree. And when they lose, you know, people lose their minds and they say, well, I guess Brad Stevens really isn't that smart. Well, it depends on who he's got on the floor. And frankly, it depends on whether they're shooting well. If you shoot well, man, do you look like a good basketball team? And if you don't shoot well, you really look like garbage. And right now, the Pacers, they're not shooting the ball very well. And as a result, they're losing games. I mean, sometimes the simplest answer is the correct one. And I think in this case, it is. Like You're just not shooting the ball well. And it doesn't matter what kind of offense you run. If you're not shooting it well, you're always going to look like you're goobered up. Yeah, that's a great point, Kent, because uh, the coaches can only do so much. The players have to do their part as well. And if they're not, it's it's funny because if you look at the beginning of the season when the Pacers lost their first three games, I don't know how many I saw of the fire fire Nate McMillan tweets I, I yeah. saw out there after that. It's like whenever the Pacers lose, it's always Miles Turner's fault and it's always Nate McMillan's fault. And whenever <laughs> they win, and whenever right. they win, it's uh, oh Sabonis is an all star. So we stole T.J. Warren from the Suns. Uh, God, I love Malcolm Brogdon. It's just like. It's very consistent. It's like, well, you know, Nate McMillan, why doesn't he get any credit when they go on a, you know, seven of eight games where they won earlier in January? So it's like, come on, guys, have a balance here. I mean, I, I'm not saying McMillan is the perfect coach because I wasn't a big fan of the hire when it happened. I, I actually was very annoyed that that's who Larry Bird went with, but I felt like that was the move <laughs> he was going to make. And honestly, like, McMillan's kind of grown on me. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of how I feel about it. He is a really good guy, and I think he's a really good coach. And it, it, to me, it really it, – it, when, when a team is going well, and you, you put it so well, right, it's never to Nate's credit. It's never, boy, Nate's a good coach. You know, it's like, man, these guys shoot it great. Look at T.J. Warren get buckets. Yeah. He's unbelievable. Yeah. Brogdon, man, shooting 94% from the line. This is fantastic. All they do is get stops and then, like, they're so gritty getting the getting that <laughs> final rebound to seal the win. Nobody ever says, boy, Nate McMillan really schemed his ass off. You know, yeah. nobody says, boy, the way he runs a practice and the way he's got these guys' attention, that's why they're winning games. It's never the coach's credit, never, never. That's why they all get fired, right? Right. Well, it is. It's because it's like, well, if the if the team loses and they've constantly been losing, it's the coach's fault. Need a new voice. But it's like, I mean, I, I kind of feel like, to me personally, like Pritchard and McMillan are almost attached at the hip. I know that's not the case, but they're very close. And I think that the culture that Pritchard wants is, you know, easy to preach because McMillan believes in that same culture. 
They they had a good thing in Portland, and unfortunately it ended because ownership there was a little bit different than it is here in Indiana. And I think that uh, Mr. Simon really likes Kevin Pritchard, and he likes, likes Nate McMillan. I mean, he, he has got the blessing from up top. There's no doubt about it. And right. I, I don't see any major move happening. I mean, maybe if they get swept in the playoffs, you know, then you could start hearing things. But I think this offseason is going to be very different. And I I know that the Pacers are going to try to extend Oladipo. They did have contract extensions that was reported before this year. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Oladipo because I do think they want to lock him up before he gets to free agency in 2021. But I think there's going to be a serious question about Miles Turner, and I think it's going to come from Miles more than anybody. I think Miles is going to make sure that they that he know that the Kevin and Nate know that he's not happy with his role. Well, I mean, they got him under contract for another three years, so he he can he can voice his concerns. But I, I you know, he has no contractual power to cause any kind of significant shift in the way they do business. Um, and and for me, I you know, I know the clock ticks for these guys, it, but Miles Turner's twenty three years old. He's got seventy two million coming to him, including this year that's guaranteed. He's never going to have to work another day in his life. It's all going to be good. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, you know, okay, what do you want out of life? You're you're going to, after going to Texas for one year, you're going to wind up making probably $200 million playing a game of basketball. You can squawk about that all you want, but that's a pretty good deal. This offseason, I, I think, is going to be mostly drama-free, just like the, the trade deadline was, because I don't think that these guys like drama. And they yeah. don't like stirring this thing up, you know, and agitating, just to agitate. And I think that's what they'd be doing. All these guys are under contract, except for Oladipo, after next season. You get him locked down if you feel like he is that significant guy that that you want to invest in. You do it because of the injury, I think, at a number that's reasonable. You don't have to go into, you know, a, a max contract area in all likelihood. And and you move on feeling really good about what you're spending and the quality of basketball that's going to be played and the level at which it's going to be led. And I think that you're right. I, I don't think that Herb is anxious. Donnie watches a ton of practice. He watches all the games. He is a really good resource for, for Herb Simon and uh, for the Simon family as, as they try to figure out what they've got. Herb has been, to me, the perfect owner where he he he's involved but he doesn't his his opinion is not going to like he's not going to go out on a limb and demand stuff he, yeah. he's not going to get ill-tempered and start calling shots hey we got to do this we got to draft that guy he's not going to get out of his depth in terms of basketball and and i think that that makes him the perfect owner i think kevin's done a really really good job i think that nate's done a good job i think that this thing if everybody's patient really winds up working out very, very well over the next couple of years. We're prisoners of the moment, Kent. You know that. <laughs> yeah, right. We are. I mean, that's just what it is. It's like the Pacers could win their next 10 games, and people will forget everything they said in February about this Pacers team struggle. I mean, it just <laughs> it is what it is. We're prisoners of the moment. I mean, I can't even remember what happened last year in the playoffs. So it's it's just one of those things. So I want to take a quick break here, and I want to come back. I have Four fill in the blanks. I want you to play a game with me. So we'll play a little okay. game of fill in the blank right when we come back. 
All right, we are back, ladies and gentlemen, and we are going to play a little game of fill in the blank. So, Kent, first question I'm going to ask you: the Pacers' losing streak is because of? Uh, oof, uh, Victor Oladipo. Oh, I think it's because of Victor Oladipo. I I think that Oladipo has has added a, an ingredient to this stew that uh, is going to take that team and us as fans of that team time to get used to. I, I don't, I'm not saying that in judgment of Victor Oladipo. Uh, Victor Oladipo hasn't done anything that would cause this to happen. I don't think he's being overly selfish. I, I think he's trying to figure out a way to help this team win games and, and become a guy who fits with this team. But that, that's been an agitating kind of ingredient to what was a very, very harmonious place. So through no fault of his own, I'm going to blame Vic. Okay, okay. Well, that was that was pretty uh, shock. I was not expecting that to be your answer, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was expecting multiple reasons, but you just went right to fill in the blank. One answer. I like it. Okay, number two. The biggest weakness of this Indiana Pacers team is? Ooh, man. I, I will say... Um, Wow, that is a great question. Um, I, I think I think the greatest weakness of this team is its mediocrity. Okay. Okay. They don't have a guy at the end of the game where they can give the ball to the guy and say, "Hey, go get us buckets." They don't have that. They have to win as a collective, and winning as a collective in the last five minutes of a game is really, really difficult. So while, like, you know, if you look at the five guys on the floor at the end of games. I would say as NBA players, they all kind of rate on a scale of 1 to 10, somewhere between a 7 and an 8. All right, Malcolm Brogdon, I love him. I, it's 7 and a half. All right, Lamb, he's been compared to what my expectations were, probably a 7. TJ Warren, a 7 and a half. Domas, an 8. Miles Turner, a, you know, maybe a 6 and a half. So um, I'm pretty close. I think. Yeah. Uh, but they don't have an eight and a half. They don't have a nine. And they sure as hell don't have a 10. And I think in order to win games down the stretch against elite level opponents in the NBA, you got to have a 10. And and it's really, really tough for the Indiana Pacers to go get a 10. So I think that that's their weakness is that they have a lot of good and no great. That's a, that's a good answer. Now, you went through all the players except Oladipo. So I want to know where you're at on him right now. And where you were on, where you were at on him before he got injured? Yeah, I think right now he's probably a six because he's not knocking down shots. Okay. When he knocks down shots in the way he historically should, he's been better defensively than I thought he was going to be. He's moving really well. He can get the corner on the guys. All he's got to get are shots to fall. And once that happens, I think he's back in that eight to eight and a half range. Okay, so still, wh who would you put as a ten? That's in the Eastern Conference outside of like a Giannis, because obviously he's a 10. Uh, what about a guy like Pascal Siakam? Where would you rank him at? Yeah, he's been he's been really, really good, man. Mm -hmm. He just keeps getting better. I keep hearing people make a, a case for him to be a two-time NBA most improved player. That, and and I think that case can be made, and it, that's got to be completely unprecedented. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd say that Jimmy Butler is one of those guys where he can go get you buckets late Mm -hmm. in a way that most can't you know i i don't think that there are a lot of guys i and i think that kind of covers the the top three in the east i i think that the celtics are kind of a collection of parts right at maybe a slightly higher level than the pacers 
but you've got the Bucks. You've got. Uh, I think that when he's motivated to be this, that I, I think that Joel Embiid can yeah. be that kind of guy. I, I agree. Um, but other than that, and and those I think are going to probably wind up like you can make a pretty strong case that the Bucks, the uh, Raptors, the Heat, and the Sixers are going to wind up the season one, two, three, and four, and maybe the Celtics at five and the Pacers at six. Maybe the Celtics kind of nose in there just because in the aggregate they're better. But uh, man, they don't they don't have that guy either, do they? No, and honestly, like. Let me ask you this because I think the Pacers finishing in sixth is better than fourth or fifth. Oh yeah, well. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of get path. fourth because you get home court advantage, but you also, if you if you happen to win one of those first rounds, you don't have to play Milwaukee in the second round. Yeah, the longer you can, it, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament, right? You don't want to be an eight or a nine because you don't want to have to match up. You'd rather be a ten or an eleven, right? Because you don't want to match up with the top seed. So I, I, I can see that completely. And getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, playing, you know, the three and then the two before you have to play the one, that's probably an easier road than doing it from either the four or the five hole. I agree. Yeah. Well, and back to Pascal Siakam, just real quick, watching him play the last two games, like he didn't shoot the ball tremendously well against the Pacers. Like it was okay. Um, but he's just so active everywhere else. And I mean, I, a lot of people have said, oh, we need to trade Turner for this. We need better rebounding. Like, I'm not saying trade Turner for anything that's not going to make the Pacers better. But if I could, like, draw up a perfect player that I think would make sense for fitting this team, I think it's a guy like Pascal Siakam, uh, putting him at the power forward position, a guy that can, you know, knock the three ball down, take guys off the dribble, really good defender in space. That's what I think would be the perfect fit. Now, obviously, that's asking a lot because he's a special player, but I think yeah. that's the type of player that I would like to fit with our starting five, whoever that may be. I think that would be wonderful. Yeah. If you could get the Raptors to see uh, see the value of Pascal Siakam a little bit differently than it seems like they do, that would probably be a step in the right direction. I don't know what you do to pry him away from that team, but I, I totally agree that he'd be a great fit. And and obviously a guy who's growing into you know a a position of importance within the NBA as as a guy who clearly is really really important. Like who thought that the Raptors were going to be able to beat what they are without Kawhi Leonard? And a lot of that has to do with Siakam, has to do with Lowry and Van Vliet too. But Siakam has been a real difference maker. Well, and the thing with him is, like, he was drafted late in in the first round of the draft when he was taken. I forget what year it was. But all I do know is that with with Siakam, he kind of just took that next step himself and the development, the want to. Like, the Pacers almost need an experiment project like that, whether they trade for it, whether they get it in the draft sometime. I mean, because they can get a late pick depending on what they trade for it. And if they can find a player like that that has those characteristics – That'd be huge if they could learn how to develop their young players. And I think that's another knock on McMillan from fans is that he doesn't really develop young talent. He relies more on veterans. Oh, for sure. But you win with veterans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that you would hire Nate if you ran a team that the previous year was 20 and 62. I don't think you hire Nate McMillan. But if you've got veterans and if you've got the means to go get more of them and and you want a guy to put them in a position where they can win. I think Nate McMillan's a terrific coach, 
And, and that's what this team is. You know, the Pacers are always in win now mode. And as a result of being that, I, I think that it's a really good fit between the franchise and the coach. Yeah. Well, you just answered my number three fill in the blank. Cause I said, Nate McMillan is a blank coach. You just said, fantastic. So we'll count that as your answer and move on to question number four. And so I will ask you this. The Pacers were blank by not making a trade before the deadline. Wise, wise. They do not need any more drama. You know, we talked what about it last week. What drama do they have now? What drama? They got a five-game losing streak. They brought Victor Oladipo back in. They got to figure <laughs> out how to get him to to fit as part of this team. They don't need to get rid of some guys and bring in other guys if that's the way the trade would have gone. They could have made a trade like T.J. Leaf for a two or maybe even a couple of twos. That would have made a little bit of sense because it gives TJ maybe a chance to play someplace. He ain't going to play here. He's not going to be a rotational guy here. But they were wise to sit and and let other teams kind of get dramatic and and roll the dice and see if they could do something. You know, at that point, I think the Pacers were in really good shape. And and really, despite losing five in a row, I think they still are. So, you know, if if before the trade deadline you said, okay – uh, you get Victor Oladipo to improve your team, and you don't have to give up any assets. Well, that's a pretty good trade. You've made yourself better, and I think that that's the point of of making a deal at the trade deadline. So I think the, that the Pacers had already checked that box. Well, let me ask you this because it's obviously past the trade deadline. Now they're not going to make any moves. But is there any chance you could see the Pacers being active on the buyout market? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, what are you going to do? Bring in an Isaiah Thomas, or 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 you're going <laughs> to well? <laughs> gonna take what a about a guy like Lancer? Mo Harkless? What about a Mo Harkless type player? Yeah, but then who are you displacing from the rotation? You know what I mean? This That's, works. Yeah, but I mean, would would you mind cutting a guy like T.J. Leaf to bring in a Mo Harkless? And if a guy gets injured, knowing you have a reliable player you can play. I mean, he's a pretty solid defensive player. He's had plenty of playoff experience, can shoot the three. I feel like he would make some sense, especially if you get foul trouble or if you need a guy that can really help you. Well, I mean, if that's the way the deal would work, if you could cut one and if you could cut Leaf and replace him with Harkless, then, you know, I I think certainly from an on-court perspective, that makes all kinds of sense. And Mm -hmm. off-court, I mean, TJ could be the nicest guy in the world, and an important guy in the team hotel and on the team plane, but that's not why you keep guys around. Um, I don't know what their plan is with, with TJ Leaf. I, I think that that's interesting because they exercised, um, you know, their option on him, and and that kind of surprised me a little bit because clearly they have no plans to play him. I mean, he's always a DNP, even in games that that they're either winning or losing by 25. He doesn't get into games, so I'm I'm not sure what they're doing. It, to me, it feels like they're probably trying to trade him around draft night. I could see that. Try, yeah. to get, try to get into the second round with a team that's got multiple seconds, might want to take a flyer on him, that's got some cap space they could use to take him in because we know this summer is not going to be the most active as far as you know guys moving unless they do a bunch of trades. So that's kind of where I'm at. So anyway, Kent, I think that we've pretty much covered everything, but I do want to take a break and talk about a special player that we saw last night uh, wasn't necessarily on the court, but it was a reunion that Pacer fans have desperately wanted. So we'll be right back. All righty, we're back. And there was a player there last night at the game, Kent, that 
the fans went crazy for when they saw that he was in the building. They showed a little video package of him. And it was a nice reunion for uh, the Pacers team because Lance Stevenson was in the building. So were you at the game last night? Uh, I was not at the game last night. Okay. But I saw I saw the interview between Lance and J.J., how much he's loved by the fans, how much uh, he loves Indianapolis and the fans and and that's that's really neat. It, it was it was fun to see him there in in that uh, respect. I, I think as far as bringing him back, I think you know, it, 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 here's here's what Lance Stevenson is to me. Lance Stevenson, if you're at the bar with a bunch of friends and you're drinking beers and you get to about the fifth beer and you think, hey, we need to kick this up a notch. Let's get a round of uh, of fireball for the table. And everybody does the shot, and it's fun, and everybody's laughing for a minute. And then about an hour down the road, people start to get squirrely. And <laughs> and all of a sudden, people are getting a little bit angry and jostling people in the bar, and, and things turn a little bit wacky and unpredictable. I think that that is Lance Stevenson. Like, it seems like a great idea in the abstract. We like Lance. Lance gives us a jolt of energy. Lance is a, a dynamic player who can create buckets and who kind of changes us into, into a little bit less predictable a team. And then all of a sudden you pull the trigger on it and you realize that might not have been a great idea. Yeah. So let's just talk about Lance for a second, because the thing here is I've seen people say, man, I'd love to have Lance back on this team. I've seen a lot of people say, man, it'd be great to have Lance back if he was actually good at basketball, which is so disrespectful to me. Like, I don't think Lance is a bad basketball player. I just think that Lance kind of uh, gets in the way of himself sometimes, if that's a fair way to put it. I think that his own antics kind of get in the way of the skills that he has because I mean he was a huge part of the Pacers success when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals like he was so pivotal to that team and his development was awesome so I just think like you're looking at this team right now they have lost five in a row have played horrible all 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 throughout this stretch and they're just missing that ball of energy and sometimes people say oh that's CJ McConnell and I can kind of agree with that but TJ McConnell's not near as crazy as Lance Stevenson I mean no for TJ McConnell ain't blowing in the ear of LeBron James. Okay. So that's all I'm saying. Like, you know, Lance is crazy. And I think the Pacers could use a little bit of crazy. They could use some energy. They could use a guy to just kind of rejuvenate this team. We saw what he did when he came back the first time against the Raptors. I mean, he had PJ Tucker, Corey Joseph, DeMar DeRozan wanting to fight him out back after the game. It was awesome. I mean, he, he basically, was that jolt of energy that got the Pacers <laughs> to the playoffs. And it's silly that a guy like that is what it took, but I think sometimes you need a little crazy, Kent. And I'm not saying to put him in the rotation, but just having that guy on the bench, he was a good locker room dude. There's no doubt about it. The guys all seem to love him more so off the court than on the court because they got frustrated with him. There's no doubt about it. But if he's not playing significant minutes and he's playing you know, garbage time. Fans are going to love that. It just it just makes sense to bring him back. Why not? I mean, we don't right. want TJ leave. Here's another uh, here's another party based uh, type of analogy. Okay, that Hit you me. don't invite you don't invite crazy to the party. If you're having a party at your house, 
You don't invite crazy. Crazy's going to show up, and for two hours, it's going to be hilarious, and all the people at the party are going to have a much better time for it. But then at one in the morning, your house is on fire, you've got to call 911, and everybody's got to evacuate and stand in the street <laughs> as your home burns to the ground. Is that, that bad? Stevenson. He, he's burning the yes. house down, Ken? I don't think he's that bad. I, well, I think that that's what happens when you invite crazy to your party. That your your let's say the cultural house winds up catching fire, and all of a sudden, instead of your happy and harmonious locker room, you have something entirely different that is sometimes enjoyable, but other times totally toxic. But just think about those late game blowout wins or blowout losses, and Lance is out there <laughs> playing one on five with Goga. That would be so much fun. What are you talking about? It would be great for us. Yeah, you know what? It's great for the guests, right at the party. The guests they leave and go somewhere else. The people <laughs> who own the home they're stuck with the rubble of their home after the guy who burned it down is is, uh, is carted away. You know, the guests love crazy at the party. We're the guests. We're the fans. Of course, we would love to see what happened if Lance comes back. But Lance. Lance to me, and I love Lance. Lance is a great guy to talk to. You ask him a good question, you get a good answer. Um, He's, I don't think that there's anybody who covers the Pacers or watches who doesn't think that Lance is a really good dude and, and a lot of fun to be around. But what Lance also does, Lance brings an unpredictability that brings drama. And like we said earlier, Nate, Nate didn't have a drama. And so I don't think that Lance... I, I don't think that he's a candidate for a return. We got to remember too that this is a guy whose be- behavior was so unpredictable that after the Pacers offered him five years guaranteed, right at nine million a year, he said, "No, I don't think so. I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Michael and bounce to the Charlotte Hornets." And there isn't anybody inside of basketball or outside of basketball that thought that that deal that he signed, which was for the same annual rate but only two years guaranteed, made any sense whatsoever. Well, that was seven years ago. Like, do we have to keep bringing up the past? Like, can't we just live in the moment? Like, sign him to a non-guaranteed contract for the rest of the season? If he's not in the rotation, tell me why it makes a, it makes a difference. If he's not in the rotation, if he's not playing one minute of meaningful basketball, unless there are like five injuries occur, why is Wait, it? A then big why deal? would you do it? Why would you do it? If just he's because, not playing. Because they need that energy. He might push some guys in practice. It might be good for them to have a guy that's going to go at him. This guy's coming over from China. Not even in the NBA, and he's out there ruffling some feathers in practice, making these guys have to work harder. I mean, they got to do something. This this has been horrible basketball of late. They need a Lance type guy. He should have just put a jersey on last night. <laughs> One day contract. That would have been awesome. Who'd have won the game? <laughs> yeah, I think that I, I think we should be really thankful that Kevin Pritchard is the general manager of the Pacers, and that and that wiser heads where it comes to to Lance uh, are likely to prevail. Yes, I know, Kim, but if I'm 51 minutes into this podcast, so can you just let me have yeah. some fun? Like I'm just yeah, please. I just, I just want to end this on a positive note because there's been nothing fun to talk about with a five game losing streak. Our numbers are so down on the downloads because people don't want to hear us talk about the Pacers losing. So. Gotta have something positive to talk about, but here you're talking about burning houses down. All right, I love it. I love it. Let's bring Lance back and and have some fun watching basketball. I th- I think it's a great idea. 
Boom. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That is how you convince Kent Sterling to change sides and be a flip-flopper. So, Kent, love you as always. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys can follow Kent on Twitter, at Kent Sterling. You guys can follow me at AlexGoldenNBA. We will talk to you probably next Monday. So, we'll see you all later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.